Welcome to another episode of The Art of Mindset with your host, me, Brian LeSage. Before we get into this episode, I have to say thank you so much for all you that have taken time to listen to the episodes thus far. We have come to almost the end of season one with two episodes remaining after this one. And today's guest is one that is absolutely fascinating. She drives home the connection with words. Tara Horstmeyer is the founder of Happy Words, a professional content and creation and coaching agency designed for busy executives. So after nearly 20 years spanning multiple industries and roles, the award-winning editor, writer, minister, director, and former sales development leader has founded Happy Words. She did this all in late 2020, all through a response of inbound opportunities that grew organically from her presence on LinkedIn. Happy Words, as she likes to say, gives busy executives custom content and online presence that they need in order to create influence they desire without wasting the time they simply don't have. However, it's grown from this. Tara has now been able to provide resources and materials to help leaders of all walks create authentic, compelling content, as well as consult on an individual basis as capacity allows. If this isn't enough, Tara has been married to her husband, Neil, a Cisco UX leader for 16 years and is raising three active boys, all in traveling sports. If you know Tara well, you know in addition to that, she loves her words. She has a deep connection and love for hip-hop and hoop earrings and helping others live life to the absolute fullest. I'm so excited to have her here. Hey Tara, welcome to the show. Really excited to have you here. And first off, everything I've seen you do on LinkedIn with the connection of words, I have to say it's powerful. And I'm really excited to have this conversation with you throughout this entire show. But first off, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Brian, for having me. I'm, I'm so pumped to be here. This is going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun today. And one of my fun activities to kind of get the conversation moving forward is I like to figure out where my guests came from. And the, how I do that is by asking this question. I want to know who Tara was on the playground. Who were you as a kid? Oh, I love this story because it's it, it's just wild when we go back to, you know, who we were when we were little before the world kind of got us and took us away and, and who we are. And let me tell you how many times I've spent with my therapist <laughs> journaling this very concept. And Tara, as a you know, it's funny, Tara, as a young girl, probably looks and sounds a lot like Tara in her 40s, which has been a journey because she did not look like Tara in her 20s. Let's just say that. But I was definitely like the greater, the one who is making sure everybody had someone to play with or was having fun. And there are still stories of people that uh, I went to school with in the elementary years. One girl in particular remembers the fir- her first day of school because she was so stressed in first grade and her walking into the classroom. I have no like actual recollection of this, but it's so true. And she said, I just greeted her like, hey, nice to meet you with a big smile and just like, come in. And like the teacher had me 
we show her where her desk is. And I just naturally assumed a very welcoming posture. And um, I love hearing that story because that was not always the case as I grew up. And I definitely shut down a lot myself and, you know, shut that side off of me. But to see myself um, really in that pure state of someone who just wants to make sure everybody feels warm, welcome, everybody feels included. I'm such a big includer. And everybody knows that there's someone there cheering for them, rooting for them, and just wants to make, you know, their life better so that they can just be who they are too. And that's just kind of a natural part of me. And so that's, that's definitely, I think, who I was even as a little girl. Wow. Yeah. I can even see that now knowing you on LinkedIn and what you're able to do and pierce through the screen veil, if you will, and being able to where people might see a disconnect, you're able to build that connection. And all in this actuality, while we're both still sitting in different spaces, you're getting this involvement in connecting. Is this natural for you? Yeah. So, you know, again, this, this journey has been very close to my heart. And I would say that I was definitely that person until about middle school. And everybody here is probably sitting there nodding like, yep, middle school, do that. <laughs> It'll make you decide that, you know what, if I'm including everybody, then um, there's a chance I'm going to be excluded. And there, there was actually a season in my life in sixth grade where I went through what a lot of kids go through. And there was a lot of bullying, a lot of exclusion, and a lot of pain. And so for the next several years, um, I, I definitely, that part of me shut down a lot, that genuine side of me. I became a lot more protective and not as welcoming um, because I wanted to protect myself, you know, and, and there's obviously there's maturity in that, there's growth in that, that we all go through. There's boundaries and there's wisdom in that. But um, I, I did definitely shut out a lot of people and shut out really myself from being that kind of warm, trusting, just naturally almost... Um, I don't know, almost naive to a point, <laughs> but in a good way, that childlike way of just believing the best in people. And so um, when I went through that just really hard time in middle school, that that I think that did two things. I think number one, it did kind of shut me down for, for a long season of life um, and not being that warm, welcoming as, as just genuine person that I truly wanted to be. But then as I grew and as I came to a different stage of life, went through a lot of counseling and therapy, um, it, it actually did almost the opposite effect. It really redeemed that season because um, I think I'm even more aware now and more like, hey, I experienced that pain. I don't ever want anybody in my circle or in that I'm able to come into contact with to ever feel that way, um, at least not on my behalf or anything that I can help with. Yeah, I think a lot of people can attest to that same thing in that early developmental childhood age, going to school, trying to figure yourself out, trying to figure ourselves out. And there's a really influential point in where it can be taken to a negative way and we need to figure out healthy ways of doing that and bringing that to light and counseling is a great one and developmental phases of just figuring out that this is normal and that we are going through that. And obviously you had that through that, but I want to know in all of this in your growth of your early childhood, what was your biggest fear growing up? Oh gosh, rejection. <laughs> Rejection. I think that that is honestly something that we all feel. 
I mean, it's like those primal instincts of, you know, we were made to be in community. We're made to be, you know, a part of the pack. And that that's nothing to do with like introversion and extroversion and all that, how we interact with that community. But we're meant to be accepted. We're meant to be, you know, seen and uh, just understood for who we are and loved for who we are. And so just growing up and honestly, even as I sit here, you know, in my 40s, I'm like, rejection is still like my biggest fear. And it's something that I still have to combat internally and externally all the time and call it out for really what it is. And and it's just not true. Rejection is something I can totally attest with. I went through a state when I was, you know, just trying to figure myself out on my own and who I was. And I became a people pleaser and trying to become all these other type of versions of myself. Was that something you had to walk that line through where you were to find yourself in all these different avenues? (laughs) Never, Brian, never. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. That was like just the chameleon nature, I think, of who you are before you are confident and before you've really come into your own. And it's such a temptation because, I mean, I still, like I said, this isn't anything that like, oh, I dealt with this a long time ago and I'm so big and mature. No, I still have to go through that. I still have to remember, my gosh, I'm not being myself. I'm not really being who I am. I'm not bringing it in because I'm trying to gain their acceptance or I'm trying to get them to like me or to do whatever. And what I've realized is that's so selfish. (laughs) That's so about me. Like, it's so about me. And nobody wants that. You know, nobody wants you to like be someone else just so that you'll like, I mean, I would hate that. I would hate for anybody to feel like, my gosh, I can't be myself because I might not like them or I might not accept them or do that. So why on earth do I do that? You know, or why would I ever want to do that? And and the people pleasing thing, it's like, it's like my Achilles heel, you know, because I do want people to feel loved and accepted and, um, you know, like, pleased with me. I mean, heck yes, you know, and so I've realized the more, the more I am secure in myself, the more I've done that deep work of understanding where that comes from, why that manifests, what the triggers are, what does it look like when I'm doing that as an adult versus maybe when I was doing that as a kid, you know, the people I'm trying to please way different now. But knowing that about myself and knowing that, hey, that could still be a tendency in my life. What are the ways that I can really combat that? I can start being myself and just almost like just start preaching to myself the truth of like, I already am accepted. I'm fine. I'm worthy. And if anything, people like me more and accept me more um, when I am myself, you know? So it's something that I definitely still like have those tendencies, but I'm way more like in a much better place now of really knowing I need to please myself and I need to be the healthiest version of myself if I'm going to ever be the healthiest version of me for other people. Wow, that's incredibly powerful. And you mentioned it earlier that you went through therapy and counseling and all these sorts to really go through these tough times and to figure yourself out. I want to know, is there or was there something that allowed you to truly find Tara in your life? So (laughs) this is a big journey. So about, it'll be 10 years ago in July, I lost my father uh, to cancer. And that was honestly one of the hardest, most shocking things that I've ever been through. And, you know, again, I have this kind of, I think like a childlike innocence about me sometimes, which I'm like, oh my gosh, it was in my thirties, you know, that I kind of had a wake up call of like, guess what, Tara, life is not always rainbows and butterflies. And I knew that, but when it came time to like death and losing people, I really hadn't, I was very fortunate that um, I had not walked through that. My father was dying 
diagnosed in uh, June of, um, gosh, 10 years ago. So 2012 and 37 days later, he was gone. And it was a very quick there. And it was like one of those, it just shocked me into reality moments. Um, very tough to deal with and sent me on a spiral that was just not pretty, not pretty. I was a mom. I had young kids and, and I just ended up at a place that I'd never wanted to be in. And uh, so the journey out of that is really what led me to finding what matters and finding my true self, finding what um, I actually care about for the first time in my life, you know, and for me, faith is a huge part of my story. I'm very open about it. And um, that to me has always been the backbone is that I'm never going to find myself if I just keep looking at myself for that worth, but I need to find my worth outside of me, you know, and, and not through other people, but obviously through what I believe and, and my faith. So that's been my anchor. And that really is what changed a lot for me, um, along with counseling that I still go to after 10 years. Yeah, counseling, definitely, if anybody's questioning that and wanting to dig deeper into themselves, it's a great tool to utilize and, and allowing yourself to get to know yourself more. And I would have never known this, obviously, but you're a big communicator. And I've always loved the way in which you communicate. When did you figure out that this was a strength of yours and not that all people can do this? Well, probably early on, I'd say probably about middle school that um, I remember my uncle was, um, he was a big, huge sales exec leader with Bank of America. And to kind of to the point of what I wrote about today, it's so funny because, you know, on the outside, he was this big salesman, you know, extremely driven, all of that. But his real heart and his passion was writing and his creativity and that side of him. And, and he just always fascinated me, always fascinated me because he could be so this in one way and then so different in another way. And I remember writing an essay in seventh grade about him and about how much I wanted to be like him. And, um, and I gave it to him and he choked up, you know, and basically was like that first person that was like, you're a writer, you know, and, and you, you can, you've got a way with words. And that's something that for the last, I mean, 20 years, people have just said 30 years, you know, over and over, you have a way with words. And it took a long time for me to believe that. Um, I did become an editor and a journalist, but I still never really took it on as like, oh, this is my thing is communication. And then through my um, career journey, I've gotten more chances not just to communicate through my writing, uh, but and through others writing, really writing for others and making other people's writing better as an editor. Um, but now really into the speaking role, and how much I just enjoy it so much using those, uh, but realizing you're right. Not everybody has that naturally, uh, but everybody can get better. Yeah, I believe without a doubt, I believe wholeheartedly that we all have that ability to grow and expand in that some of us have other gifts that we can harp on and you mentioned that a little bit before with your uncle being a big influential person for you was there anyone else growing up that was really influential yeah, I, I mean, when it comes to communication, absolutely. So I had an English teacher my sophomore year and same thing. She was, you know, she spoke life into all of the words that I wrote. She absolutely was formative in um, seeing what I could not see at the time. And this is why it's so pivotal for me to allow myself to be that also those eyes for other people when they just can't see. And I think it's something that's a little bit natural to me now. I don't know if that's because somebody else did that so well, but anytime I can see something that other people can't necessarily. Now, I'm very quick to not um, call it as truth in their life, but just more of like, hey, this is something I see, you know, like you've got to take it on and decide, does this fit? Does this feel good? Does this actually work for me? I never want to, you know, 
put something on someone else. But yet, especially in the positive way, when I can do that, it's amazing because that's really what uh, my teacher did for me when I was growing up is just really put on for size some words that I could not use for myself and see a vision for me that I couldn't see for myself at the time. And then what happens when you do that and when you respect those people, you start to live up to that. Not in a way of, again, probably trying to gain approval, but also because you do see... um, for the first time yourself in a different way. And you need those people in your life. You need people who are able to call out the best in you, whether that's a coach, a teacher, a mentor, a parent, um, a best friend's parent, you know, just someone who's ahead of you who can really speak that those words of life into you. As that saying goes, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So going back to that, if you are you are these people and they're pushing you and you're the formula and you're figuring it out and you're becoming you, even though you don't realize you're forming yourself along the way, you're going and moving through this journey. And we've talked through middle school, high school, you've graduated, you're going off to college, right? You go back to get your bachelor's, right? So you go back to school. What do you major in? Oh, journalism. So that is a shocking. <laughs> that, yep, I know. So yes, I was a journalism undergrad, but uh, my specific concentration was in sports management. So I, I definitely I came out of school as a sports journalist and uh, still my favorite job <laughs> that I've ever done it. Absolutely. What were you doing on a day-to-day operations there? Yeah. So I actually ended up on the sports desk. And so the desk, everybody's like, what the heck's a desk? Well, it's a newspaper term for you sit at a desk. <laughs> it's not as glamorous as people think. I was not a reporter. Um, and so I was an editor. So again, I took everybody else's words, our reporter's words that they sent and made them better. And I wrote, you know, I helped design the pages of the newspaper. So we're talking the Gainesville Sun and Gainesville, Florida, go Gators. That is where my heart still is in a lot of ways. Um, but I worked with them on, you know, writing all the headlines, making sure, you know, choosing the stories that fit, um, worked with our main editor. Cause I was just a copy editor on, um, you know, just different aspects of what the, the next stage, uh, the next day's newspaper would look like, but all in sports and, you know, just grew my, my little budding career there, but it was an absolute blast. And it's something that I still think I could only do it, you know, 23, because it's, Nights and weekends, because that's when sports happens. So it was it was a grind, but I loved it. I got to say, you probably started bringing up that creative aspect of yourself and allowing creativity to flow. What happened? Did people get to see Tara really form that, follow you? Did she or was she still hungry for more? Um, You know, I, I say I was definitely still hungry for more. The cool thing, too, is that I have always I don't I don't know how this has happened, but it's been amazing. I have always been able to surround myself with mentors, specifically bosses and leaders who have been able to do that for me, who have been able to say, Tara, I see this in you. So I'm going to give you more responsibility, more opportunity, little by little. So I've I've been so lucky. I know this is not the case for everybody. But um, I have been able to be in a position where I've hit kind of my opportunity ceiling and have been able to look, okay, very honest, honestly, like objectively and to say like, I'm done here. What's next? You know, so I did hit my limit there. Um, Not that it was, you know, not that I couldn't have progressed or anything like that. But I knew like, this is not the life that I want. Um, 
it's, you know, the newspaper world is a grind and not that I'm not a grinder because I am, but when you're 23 and you are sitting at a desk on Friday nights and all your friends are going out and having fun and, you know, you're looking at the next season of maybe I'm going to get married and settle down, you know, that uh, working on, you know, a newspaper nights and weekends is not going to cut it, but I loved the actual job. How were you able to transition from what you were able to do and take those steps and saying you obviously you had mentors and leaders able to pivot you and all those pivotal moments? What was Tara able to do then? Yeah, so I pivoted to my next job in industry, which luckily my um, next, I guess, connection was actually the wife of one of our reporters at the Gainesville Sun. And so she was working at a publishing company, a private publishing company, nine to five, like normal hours. You know? And I was like, ooh, I want to talk about that. What does that look like? And so I transitioned into association publishing, working with incredible clients, doing way more than I ever thought that I could um, and moved into an editor role at a publishing company and was there for almost five years. And that was, I mean, that grew me in ways that I never could have imagined. And um, while, you know, the sun and while working in the newspaper is kind of like your first love, it's like your high school love, you know, it's like your high school boyfriend that you're like, oh, it was, it was so much fun and great, but like not for me long term. When I settled into that role, that was one that I'm like, this is more me. This is more the full aspect of who I am. And I grew and stretched more in those five years than I mean, I could have even imagined just from the opportunity of working in a more professional um, environment that allowed me to do a bunch of different things, not just edit copy, but work with clients, work with um, our sales team, work with publish, you know, our design team, all kinds of stuff, uh, and just exposed me to more than I ever thought I could. Yeah, well, coming from a point of view where I don't know much and I don't know much about editors and editing articles and papers and newspapers and all those sorts. So anybody that might not know might be wondering, what is the most difficult part about being an editor? You know, the funniest thing is that it's not the editing process. People think, oh my gosh, it's words and it's all. And I'm like, that is actually the easiest part. (laughs) And that's the part that I would like do at night, you know, almost. I would take things home and be like, okay, I can edit that quickly. Um, The hardest part of being an editor is just like anything else is dealing with people. And I say dealing with, like it's not dealing with, it's it's understanding the nuances of people because especially as you're giving feedback, as you're working, you know, it's like any other function. I'm working with, you know, my, uh, my clients who have a publication that they're trying to get out to their members. They're an association board or whatever, and they're trying to get value to their members. Well, I'm also working with our sales team because they need to know what to sell into there. They need to know who to talk to and they need to say, okay, well, this article, I'm not going to get anybody to be able to buy the ad across from it because at the end of the day, we've got to have revenue. Like that's why how we serve. And that was really our function is that we were a lot of, you know, a lot of times doing sales things, you know, so having to, you know, navigate like, we don't want to just turn this into a sales publication, obviously, because then the members are going to leave. They're not getting value. And yet understanding, hey, we've got to have a revenue you know, understanding. So how can we create content? How can we have a plan that will both satisfy uh, the members to, to give them value, but will also be compelling enough to where people want to buy into this and that will speak to our advertisers as well. So running that fine line. Um, and as the journalist in me, I'm just like, you know, I want like truth and fair and all that. But that just taught me into like, you know what, there is a world in which everybody can win. And that's the hardest part is of an editor is realizing, you know, that you've got to compromise. You, you can't just hold a firm line because then everybody loses. 
I think learning a lot at this point, right? You're learning how to balance different ways of thinking, different cultures, different missions, different objectives, different basically stakes in the game. And how are you thinking at this point when you're learning this and you're hopefully not driving in or trying to figure this all out on your own with no assistance, but how are you thinking along the way? Like what, how are you learning through all of this change? I I mean, I'm learning it by honestly, my EQ way more than my IQ. And this is something that um, I talk to my husband about a lot. You know, he's in tech, he's at Cisco and we talk and now that he's in a leadership role, I, you know, I, I always talk about leaning into, it's not, it's not EQ or IQ. Like obviously you need both, but what I learned so much is what I used to be able to just do on IQ alone as in like, okay, this is smart. This is the right way to do things. This is the words that we use, all of that, that when I when I towed that hard line, um, I was missing out on learning about the EQ of people relationships that so much of what we want to accomplish is actually not just through like powering through with what we know. It's, it's actually getting to know who we know and it's learning people dynamics and it's all the soft skills that we want to just like blow past because we're so like, especially in our twenties, you know, wanting to prove by our hard skills, but I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's actually, that's what gets you in trouble is when you don't learn the interpersonal communications of people, when you don't learn, okay, this is what they need and this is what they need. So how do we bridge that gap? And the more adept that I became at um, understanding people as well as learning my craft and obviously doing well there. But really, that was the easy part. It was understanding the people side of things and how people click, you know, how they tick, how they work. Um, and then using that as a way to start conversations, to bridge gaps, to help everybody win, that that ultimately helps you and your career win too. It sounds a lot to me like you're curious and you ha- you're buying into this aspect of figuring out human psychology. So where are you, I guess, are you innately just trying to figure people out and who they are? Oh, a thousand percent. You know, I always joke that that's like the journalist in me is because I love getting to know people. It's like, it's literally my favorite thing to do because, you know, it's like you, I first meet somebody. I just want to know, like, I'm so curious about their story, their life, what made them tick, what makes them tick, what do they enjoy? Like, I just want to connect, you know, like I, I just have this like odd thing in me um, that I just want to know people and I just want to connect. And I used to teach, you know, my husband, when we were in college, we've been together like 20 plus years. Um, he would just lose me at parties, you know, or whatever. And I'm just off talking to everybody. And he's like, where, you know, like, there's so many people. I just want to meet them all. I just want to talk to them all. And that's something that I just like, I just love. And it's so genuine for me. I know it's not or other people. But um, it just, I just, I love learning about what just really makes people tick. And, and it's just, you're right. I think it's that endless curiosity um, over judgment, you know, because I can be quick to judge. Um, but when I really take a step back and just, it, it just, people are fascinating. So it's, I think it's just something I do. I think that's great. And I think that's a lot of what I've found just having these conversations with entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators from around the world is that they have questions to answer and they're focusing into one answer particularly that they've found through talking to people. So maybe that if anybody's struggling to find curiosity and, and step into that, what would you say to them? Oh my gosh. I would say, you know, take off your preconceived notion. Like this is, I think when, when, 
when we have a hard time being curious, it's because we've already, we're doing too much judging, you know, already, you know, so I think just being curious with yourself first, be like, okay, why am I feeling this way? Or why am I not asking this? Um, you know, that, that curiosity is something that you can develop, that you can, um, you can grow. There's a great book. It's, um, I think it's good leaders ask great questions. Um, but it's things like that. So even just having like an arsenal of questions kind of in your back pocket, even if it's not natural to you, remember conversations is questions and answers. Like it's not an interview. It's not an interrogation, but it's curiosity. And, you know, and it's really how you phrase the question or even the tonality that you use, the posture that you use can take something that might feel a little bit like an interrogation and just turn it into a conversation, you know? So I think we tend to overthink it, but it's more like just show up, Pretend like you're talking to a friend, you know, are you meeting, I mean, meeting someone the first time, don't overthink it, relax and just talk to people by asking questions about them. And then people love talking about themselves. So they'll open up and you'll be fine. (laughs) That's absolutely right. And just asking those questions and figure out the things like, what are they curious about? What are they interested about? Run down that rabbit hole with them. Yeah. Tell me more. Just tell me more about that. Tell me more about that. Yeah, they'll just keep going. <laughs> you push that conversation forward. So any of those introverts out there that don't know how to fake that phrase and those questions, tell me more. What else about that? So again, you're now we're talking about you and we're moving this publication company, right? We're working with this. Where are you moving into now? Where are you at? So now, now I uh, I read about this last week. Now I took a six-year gap, y'all. I actually left the workforce and I had my first child, um, gosh, a day shy of, I think I was 28. Like he's born the day before me. And I worked for a year with a nanny and it was one of those things where, you know, I think a lot of people go through and especially the last couple of years for anything. I mean, parenting and working in the same place no less is hard. I always joke. I'm like, if I put him like, we had a nanny, but if I put him in daycare, I probably would have still stayed and worked, but he was too close. So I did that for a year and then I stayed home for six years. But, um, you know, I think too, that it was not something I ever planned on. It's not like I had this dream, you know, um, I really was like, I'm going to become editor in chief. I'm going to just move on up and things change, you know? And so I embraced a very different season, um, for a really precious time and was very, very fortunate to be able to do that. Was it hard? Way harder, you know, than I ever thought. Did I learn more? Absolutely. Do I, I mean, I love that time. And we had our second child during that time too. So I was home for a solid six years. In that time, I started like selling makeup. I like, you know, um, started like Facebook. I mean, I still did a lot of stuff. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I just, you know, kind of made my own way. And then after those six years, once my youngest at the time, now my middle son uh, started full-time school, I was ready to dive back in uh, to just the traditional workforce and was able to do that. So that was my journey. Yeah, that's wild. I know a lot of women out there that struggle with that. I know people that struggle with it. And it's just, how do you balance work family? Uh, How do you pick and choose? Which one's more important? And making that decision is tough. And that's sometimes feeling like they've made the wrong decision and coming back into it. What was hard for you coming back into the workforce? Yeah. 
So I, that's when I actually went and worked for a church and, you know, people think like church, like, oh, little, you know, little tiny church in the corner. I was like, no, this is actually like the second largest church. And I think the largest student ministry in the country. And so I went on staff to be, um, to basically develop leaders, you know, and so I had like recruited, trained, you know, did everything, coached, um, I mean, several hundred leaders and led them too. And when you're in ministry, you're not just leading over like, okay, here's, you know, here's your goals for the week. Here's this or that. It is like a full scope emotional, like you're their pastor. And so um, I did that for three years. It was so much, I mean, gosh, again, one of those things that was a great bridge um, for what I was doing before to what, what I was really going. It was absolutely hard, right? A lot of people go to, you know, seminary or go to school to be, to be in ministry. I did not. <laughs> at all. But um, somehow by the grace of God, I did it. And it was amazing. And I loved that time. I learned so much. Um, But it really just, it was a time that reinforced again, like my heart is at home with my family and it always has been and it always will be, but that they don't have to live separately. And so those three years that I was on staff, I really did try, believe it or not, to um, several years <laughs> to kind of keep them separate. Uh, and it did not work well for me, you know, and it was something that I really struggled to do. And I still do. I did not like putting my kids in childcare um, after school. I didn't like missing holidays. I did not like missing weekends. And it, it's always been attention. And um, I think it will forever be attention of what, how do I show up for my clients, you know, for my work and how do I show up for my parent or for my family and be a parent and how can those two coexist? So I wish I had like a really neat packaged answer, but it's something I still struggle with because I still love to do both. That's a struggle again and being present in both and trying to figure that out. And I think COVID in its past two years, you know, it's really emphasized the strength of bringing families together. And we've seen the videos go viral, the professional meetings and the children running around in the background. Like we need to normalize this. We're working people and then we have families and friends outside of this. These are not two separate entities. It's not really a work-life balance. It's a balanced life. And I think that's really what we're at right now, moving into a time And I believe that's where we're moving into gravy. And how did that happen for you and coming into the fruition of your reality? Where you're transitioning to both. So someone that I worked with, actually, um, the church was North Point Community Church. You you might be aware of, you probably heard of it. But um, moving out of that into gravy was kind of easy because um, Justin, he was a former co-worker of mine at North Point, was really close with Casey. Like they'd been years and years to get Casey Graham for probably most everybody knows him. Uh, Phenomenal leader. And Casey and I had been kind of in circles just around each other. I mean, we knew, you know, we live like 15 minutes away from each other knew lots of the same people, but never had ever like really connected. I don't even think we'd met. Um, but Justin went to work for Casey and knew that I had decided we had had our third child. And that's like a whole story on its own. Um, 10 years younger than his oldest brother, seven years younger than his second one. So it's kind of like, okay, now we're back in this like crazy newborn phase. Baby phase, you know, I'm like potty training and puberty. Like I've got this huge gap. Um, but you know, and so I knew my time again, I'm pretty like 
clear when I know it's time. Like I don't have a ton of, you know, um, I have a lot of tension around that, but I also know when it's time. And so I knew it was time for my, you know, uh, my church world <laughs> to be done, to be done. Um, because that was a lot, that was Sundays. I mean, camps on the weekends, all that kind of stuff that worked when I had bigger kids, but not with a baby. And so I, um, so Justin called me and was like, kind of like, I hear you're leaving. What are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. Like I had a lot of irons in the fire, but no decisions. He's like, you need to come to gravy. <laughs> and at the time it was like him, like five people. And it's so, it's so funny. Cause I'm like, what is it? Tell me more. Tell me more. Um, and we were in the Chick-fil-A line. Like I still remember this. And, and to preface that, like Justin was somebody that I loved, I respected, you know, so it was great just to have that conversation. And the more I learned, it was like one of those, like, Yes, like this is what I'm meant to do in this season. It was just part time. I was just kind of going to help him with some sales stuff. Um, and me being me, that didn't last very long <laughs> because after part time for like four months, I'm like, oh my gosh, I love it. I'm in. And um, I was ready. My baby was now one and he needed full time, you know, more daycare kind of school, still attention, which we can talk about. But, um, you know, that's when I, I leapt into gravy and they they took me open-handed so i was very lucky anybody that might not know who gravy is or what gravy does in a reader's digest form what is it what do they do so they are a full service well they're really they're really a leadership company decide disguised as a full service payment recovery so anybody who has uh, recurring revenue in your business payments fail credit card payments we're not talking like debt recovery or anything like that but you know you you sign up let's say you sign up for a monthly subscription box and you know for a thousand I mean literally I think there's like hundreds of reasons your credit card can fail obviously the easiest ones to kind of understand are you know you've got a new one or expired or new you know, all these kind of things and you don't update it, then it fails when it tries to go through. And so they reach out on behalf of, um, you know, the company and work with you to get that back online. So it's really like a back end SDR customer service. Uh, so it's really cool. It's how they do it. But they help people obviously not have a lapse in their boxes or subscriptions or whatever it is and get their payment back on online. That's a absolutely wild journey and transition. And here we are, you know, you've gone editor to publication editor and you got all these moving pieces and working in sales teams and other stakeholders. And now we're in gravy and you do that for a while. So like right now, what does Tara really still want to do? She's done it all, right? I know, right? So the funny part is that it's really been a full circle, um, you know, back into it. I really credit a lot of my success at Gravy was actually undergirded. And if you look at themes throughout my journey, the two things that come to the top are people, you know, leadership. I love people. I love, I love teams. I love this side of it. I love bringing people together. I love making people better. Like that's the number one thing. As an editor, it was never about me and my words. It's always about bringing out the better in other people's words and making them shine. Same thing at Gravy. The only reason, you know, that I joke I was successful there was because I knew how to communicate. I knew how to, you know, connect with people. I knew how I was in the marketing and sales side of things. So I knew how to open conversations. Um, and then I knew how to just connect with people and, um, and, and write and communicate. <laughs> and with those things, I was able to transfer those skills in every single role that I've ever done. So while it may look externally like, my gosh, does she ever know what she's going to do next? 
there's always going to be a piece of writing. There's always going to be a piece of communicating. And there's always going to be some form of working with leaders or working in leadership that I'm going to do. So as I transitioned out of that season, COVID was a huge reason. Um, I was with Gravy two and a half years. But, you know, when you grow from like being like one of like 10 people to, I mean, well, I wasn't there when, I mean, like one of 50 or plus, you know, as they were growing and scaling. Now they're well over 100. Um, when last year or 2020, you know, I was already just in a very tension, you know, I still had my baby and, and, um, his daycare closed and a lot of just questions were coming up again about like, what is the best version of me in COVID, you know, had circumstances been different potentially, you know, things would be different, but, um, I was just really feeling that pull of, I need more time at home. You know, I've got teenagers now I've got this little one. Um, and you know, again, like I love people and I love, and I don't have to be the person, you know, so really great conversations there of what does this next season look like for me? And so, you know, I stepped back from that uh, role. I still love them. I've still worked with them a lot. So it's not a goodbye. It's just a different, you know, kind of thing. And, um, in that time I've been able to uh, just discover a business that works for the season of life. And that is helping um, leaders, helping executives just find their voice and uh, just create content online on LinkedIn. I absolutely love what you're doing now with happy words and all the sorts of growth that you're helping other people get their voice out. And like you said earlier, those two fundamental components that were the baseline of Terra. And now you're helping people and getting the best out of them and these leaders as well. So throughout all of this, how did you come to this realization and how did you find that? Was it just in general? Did you have to go through some journaling? What brought this to fruition for you where you started to note that these things were here and that you needed to capitalize on them and take it into a full blown business opportunity? Yeah. So I think the, um, I love working with leaders because I love working with people who know what they want and know what they like, you know, and know what they know where they're going and what they're doing. So clarity is a huge piece of what I'm drawn to. Um, and as Casey even says, it's like people follow, um, people say that they, and they are, they're drawn to, I think it's like people are drawn to like honesty and integrity and leader, but they follow clarity. And I'm like, that to me is like what sticks in my heart <laughs> because I follow clarity and that's true. And even with myself, when I'm not clear, I am like a mess, you know? So I love working with leaders there because I do. I think I, I really love clarity and I love helping them find clarity or, or um, doing that. But the biggest piece for me is helping other people get better, other people get better. And whether that's through their communication, whether that's through, um, you know, leaving a team, whatever it is, when I can help people reach their goals, I feel successful, you know, so it's almost selfish. It sounds terrible. But the more I see people shine in a way that's genuine to them, it's like seeing a reflection of what I really want in life, you know, so it, it really is in a lot of ways, me putting a lot of what I deem as worthy and exciting. And when I can help people reach that goal, um, then it just makes me come to life, you know, and I don't think I could ever put words on that until like I did journal, I did spend a lot of time of like, what really makes me tick, you know, and it's not cheesy motivational, because I'm like, my God, I don't want to become like a motivational speaker or whatever. <laughs> but there is something that's literally genuine when I see people come to life and excited about achieving whatever goal that it is specifically 
specifically with me, finding that superpower of helping them communicate better, speak better. I think it just undergirds absolutely everything that makes you better at business and life. So there is a real piece of that, but it's it's also um, it's meaty. It's not cheesy, you know. And so when I see that actually affect their quota, affect their you know performance, affect the way their team receives them, affect how they can influence partnerships or whatever. When I see those in tangible ways, that gets me so excited. And I know that I have done something to encourage them to be better and to do better. That's incredible. Here you are again, being able to do this, take these motivations and motivate yourself with these passions and what you're creating and you're doing. How did LinkedIn become a pillar of this and this growth? (laughs) No. It's crazy. No, but Casey, I mean, number one, like I I was on LinkedIn 13 years ago or something when I first started when I was an editor and, you know, everybody's like, get your LinkedIn. I'm like, okay. Um, I don't even know if I had a picture. I mean, I don't know. You know, I have no idea. And so it's like I had like 300 connections. Casey's story is hysterical. Everybody, you need to look it up. You need to actually go buy his book because it's amazing. Um, but he talks, you know, really about like how he, I think, he may have even tried to go on LinkedIn to like cancel it or something. He didn't know his passwords, hilarious. But saw like a viral post and was like, wait a minute, this is like a content platform. What is this? And his journey was hilarious. And so I'm sitting there like, you know, in gravy and, and I'm just like, it's like watching it like with popcorn. I'm like, what is going on? You know? And so he's coming back telling us about like all these people he's meeting, these learnings, we should try this. I was trying to stand up our um, sales development team at that point and really prove that concept. I had no idea what I was doing. Still don't all the time. Um, and I'm like, he's learning all that. Well, wait a minute. And then just me being me, I'm like, hold on, I'm coming to the party. You know, you keep going and like, tell me how much fun that, you know. So I invited myself and basically was just like, you fly on the wall for, you know, many months and watching along his journey. Then I started to do, um, I think what everybody should do. No more shits. What I did, it worked for me, which was really lurk and learn for months. And so I started commenting, just finding my voice um, and really getting on there. And that was, I mean, two years ago this time. And then finally in June of 2020, when I was like, enough is enough. (laughs) And Casey was encouraging me, of course, um, and all of us. If we wanted, there was no have to, but um, I just decided to buy my own free will. Like, well, dang it, if I'm right, I'm going to write. And so I started posting and connecting and it was like wildfire. I mean, I was really lucky um, to learn, of course, right along Casey, but also to have uh, skills, you know, to to understand like, okay, how to write Um, and just really quickly, you know, jump in. And so that was, I mean, two years ago, June, and now it's literally my business and my life. So it's fun. Again, these assets, these things that are maybe have a negative limelight or a negative light, if you will, around social media, there's this whole other reality where you can utilize them as tools and now you're creating a successful business and you see these nuances, uh, these opportunities where a lot of people might not see and they could see a burden or an obstacle in something that's really powerful. And I have to say, I've created my own content. I know what content creation, what it kind of entails. And for those that might not know or wanting to create video content or written words or however, music, however they want to create, how do they go about doing that in their own words? Cool. Yeah, that is a that's honestly a huge question because um you know 
that's where I think people get stuck is thinking like, okay, well, I see all this and, you know, we're comparing because we want everybody else's journey or we want everybody else's results, honestly, you know, and, and, and at least what we see on the outside, but understanding that, um, content creation, it, it is a journey and it is something that you can do once you start looking at it as such a big question, you know? So I think the easiest way to start, or I know the easiest way to start is really to ask yourself, what do you want? Like, why are you here? What do you want? Like, and be honest with it. You know, there's no wrong answer. I mean, I know why I'm here, but I also know why somebody else might be here and why, you know, CEOs that I work with are there. And it's very clear. So again, back to the clarity piece. Once you are clear what you want to accomplish, then you now can work yourself back and be like, okay, now I've got clarity. I know I want to, you know, close more business or I want to engage or I want to, which is actually, honestly, weirdly, <laughs> the most common theme that I work with people on is I want to hire the best talent. You know, I want to be engaging and create basically a culture magnet to where people want to work for me. And those are honestly, that's like my favorite because then I'm like, now we can have some fun. Um, so once you know your goal or what you want out of it, and if you're an SDR, it's probably, hey, I want to book more meetings you know, or whatever it is for now. This doesn't have to be for the next five years, just for now. Um, then you start to work back. Okay, who are you talking to? Who are the people that are going to help, you know, actually care about what you have to say? And then you've got your audience. And then once you define your audience, now you're like, oh my gosh, I can create content that guess what is not for me. It's for them. Now, I can be very selfish because I don't want to put out content that I don't want to consume. I think that's a good part. <laughs> that's a good thing to do. And yet, I'm not writing for me. I, I am writing in the process for me because it's cathartic and I love to write. But ultimately, my goal is not that I'm like, yay, Tara, I'm so great. The goal is I want to make other people great. I want to make other people be better, do better, think different, be, you know, achieve something. Um, you know, feel a certain way, whatever it is, not one piece of content is about me and um, are ultimately about me. I can be telling a story about me, but it's really about you. I'm going to loop you in on some way, shape or form. And so there's lots that goes into that. And I know I'm probably like stressing out people more than helping them, but defining what your goal is, defining who you're talking to, and then really defining what's your voice, what's it about. So the ways you can go about that, I always like to do like a crawl, walk, run method. And the crawl method is just get onto LinkedIn and start learning, start understanding, start being curious. Who do I like? Do I like their style of writing? Do I like their tone of voice? Do I like, why am I drawn to certain people? Why am I wanting to click connect or follow or start engaging? So start doing that, just understanding. And then the next is kind of walking. And that is starting to go outward a little bit. So you're doing consuming for the first step. Now you're going outward. So now I'm going to start commenting. I'm going to start using my voice and, and just start, you know, I would say you've got to give it to get it. Start giving your words to people and then you'll start finding, oh, this is my rhythm. This is how I like to comment. These are the questions I like. This is how I like to engage. All of this is over time. This is not like one week. This is over a few months, you know? And then once you start doing that, start DMing people, like start conversations <laughs> offline, privately. Not everything has to be public facing, you know, especially as you're starting out. Like, my gosh, if somebody writes something, you're like, God, that was amazing. Write a good comment. DM them. Hey. You know, Joe, I took what you learned. I used it in my, you know, meeting. I booked three meetings from this one tactic or this one thing that you get. Or I had the best one-on-one -on -one with my manager because you said to come into it prepared this way. Like, just want to say thanks. Like, that was awesome. My gosh, 
do that. And guess what? Now you're making friends. You've got community. And now when you get on LinkedIn, it doesn't feel like I, I'm a robot <laughs> just trying to like do create like I've, I've got a community. I've got people I really enjoy and I like conversing with. And so that's walk. And then the last piece is run. And that's when you start actually posting outwardly for the greater good. But if you've been doing the other steps, it feels so much more natural. You're like, all right, I've been receiving. Now it's my time to start giving, you know, and in comments. And so you're, you're doing the other things, but now you really start posting and giving. And so when, when I found that that's what I naturally followed, once I started posting and creating content and then the actual content that you create and strategy, that's a whole different beast. But that is at least the way just to start getting yourself out there. That is so profound and strong advice that, again, there's a lot of strength you can learn from just observing and going into that. And it goes into a number of aspects of observing, observing yourself, observing content, observing content creators, observing why they do what they do, why you do what you do, and then putting it all together. Whereas their strategy and you learn these skill sets, if you will, where you start to see the strategies for what they are and you start to use utilize those tactics and so on and so forth. And you're talking about it in a couple posts ago that you've mentioned it or commented on. It's a slow process of integration and so slow and meticulous change that takes place in creating comments, creating engagement, creating whatever you utilize. And you say this and it takes time and consistency. So if anybody out there is wanting to do something like this and you got to get very clear in that. So I want to say they need to figure it out. And I know that your company does that with happy words and you're offering things to people that help find their voice. So what are some new initiatives that you're working on in that? Yeah. So happy words really just started because um, I just found myself again, kind of in that editor seat of writing great content for great people, you know, and so that was always it was a done for you kind of thing. And, and as what happens with, you know, anybody who is kind of budding in the done for you business, you realize, okay, I can't do for everybody, <laughs> you know, as much as I want, especially to like, my standards, because let's face it, we are all we all have high standards when it comes to things. And so so um, as I, I mean, toward the end of last year, and yes, they, these are great problems to have, but they're still problems when you realize that, okay, I am, I can't serve 90, I mean, I can pull up the stats, but it's something like 95% of basically the leads that I came in, I'm like, I don't have capacity. And so I can help. And I did, I have, you know, I had writers that I would help, that I would basically get more of an editor seat, but even that just did not feel great, you know, um, for me. Not for everybody, for me. Some people want to scale a huge agency. I might. I might be sitting here in two years saying, guess what? I decided to do what I didn't want to do two years ago. It's fine. But in this season, I'm like, I still want to be, I want to be as extremely as present as I can be. The whole reason I, you know, left Ravy and started uh, doing this was because I wanted margin and capacity really to, to be home, my four-year-old and, and older kids, um, as much as I could while still doing things that bring me life and help other people. So when I hit that ceiling, um, I basically had two avenues to take. Do I scale it? Do I become a you know full-blown agency? Or do I pivot and... Ugh, use that word, but yes, I used it. Um, and create something that's going to be more sustainable and ultimately more helpful. And so that is the direction I'm moving in. I still have some clients, of course, that I do work with one-on-one. -on -one, but for 90 you know percent of my business, it's going to be moving into DI. DIY, so more self-led, self-directed, helpful content, um, resources. Haven't decided exactly if I'm going to do just pure resources or put together, um, you know, more of a course kind of setting, but just to help people 
with their LinkedIn content, specifically writing engaging con- content and doing so in a way that does not feel overbearing or burdensome because I'm going to help give them guides, give them frameworks, give them prompts, and um, in some cases, give them accountability to help them get uh, their words out, but do in a way that feels really good. So look for that as I uh, produce those. And um, I really hope that it helps more people just get them get out of them. I always say get out of here, you know, and get into there. Absolutely. Get it out of the mind almost in a way, right? And you're just trying to get this overcomplex theme process out and in a simple way. And I love that you're doing the DIYs and the accountability functionalities of getting people to say more and maybe their prompts back to say, hey, look, you know, here's how to do it. Pushing through these obstacles. I know you're facing them. I face them. We're all facing them. Here's some tools that are really, really powerful to get past that. And you're going through gravy at this point, but I want to know what were some new beliefs and new ideas around your mindset of, I want to be an entrepreneur. I need to start creating my own company. What was that for you? So I would say I've kind of always been an entrepreneur and, you know, Casey would call like entrepreneur, like in the company of of people who are just kind of creating their own thing as they go. And, and, and for different stages of companies, as I've learned, you know, like they, you really benefit at, you know, so kind of the early stage for any kind of startup, um, having a lot of those just entrepreneurial minded people who can just come in, own it, run it, go, you know, and you need those. And then as you grow and scale, you're going to need other people who need to be, you know, or who, who are more comfortable doing repeatable things rather than building, you know, so I've been fortunate, I guess that that's kind of been my wiring the whole time. But I've also been in really cool companies that value that. So even if I look back in my publishing days, I would always learn kind of the way to do things. And then once I was comfortable, I would iterate like crazy. And then if you look six months later, it's like a completely new way of doing things. So (laughs) I've always been an entrepreneur um, at heart, I guess. And you know, my husband likes to joke, it's because I'm still kind of three and I don't like to be told what to do. So because I'm like, I like to be told, like, I want to know the best way that someone else is doing something. But ultimately, when I get in there, I like to do things myself. So I love to be like, you know, I don't want to say like, I love to be the one in charge, because it's not that kind of heart. But I do I like to have ownership over um, what I'm doing, when I'm doing it, how I'm doing it, all of that kind of thing. So I think I've just always been kind of an entrepreneur. So then you're probably thinking of that as a catalyst in that regard of saying, you know what, let's jump in with both feet. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think, too, because um, that was just a different animal, honestly, emotionally, um, stress, I, I mean, being home and just my personality, if I ever feel like I can't operate at a level other people need at this point, you know, and for whatever reason, like there's no guilt in that, but um, either I can't or I don't want to, you know, in some states, like that's why I've always been really aware of like, okay, in order for me to progress here, I've got to stretch here. And if I don't have the capacity, the energy, the desire, the will to get there, then I'm going to feel like crap the entire time. Even if no one else is saying you have to go there, I have a natural like we need to be progressing. We need to be moving. We need to be hitting. We need to be growing. You know, nobody has to put that on me ever since I was a kid. And it's funny. I look at my oldest and I'm like, nobody puts that on him. He does it himself. And now I have a lot more grace for myself, but that's just a natural wiring. And I'm like, he's going to have to contend with that his whole life because I still do. Like even now the burden of saying, oh, I should, 
you know, scale. I should grow. I should be a seven figure company. I should, you know, all the shoulds um, on that. And in COVID, it was amplified because now you've got kids. And so it's like, I should be a parent. I should be, you know, more conducive to their needs. But at the time I was like, no, 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 I should, you know, reach all of these. And there was just so much conflict that I'm like, you know what? I've got to step out of that, step into what works in this season. Um, but knowing like there's no, that it wasn't like um, a bad thing. It was, okay, this is a seasonal thing. And people ask me all the time, oh, would you go back to working for a company? Or, And I'm like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> like I have no, like this is going to be the rest of my life. It might be, I don't know. I know it's working right now. And, um, you know, at the different stages that I've been in working, you know, for different companies, this is the first time I've been fully on my own for a long time. Um, and it works for me and it works for right now. And that's what's important, not necessarily what I'm doing, but who I'm becoming as I'm doing it. I absolutely agree with that. And I believe it's it either brings up a really valid point that needs to be reemphasized, if you will. And it's not about worrying about what you did in the past or what could be or what could happen in the future. It's about doing right now what's in this season very well and enjoying it. You know, you don't you ponder and think about what if I can create a seven figure business? What if I can grow massive success? What if I can create up a unicorn idea? All these massive goals that really need to be broken down in a way of thinking that if you're talking about it in probably the most revolutionary way possible, that is, do you enjoy doing what you're doing right now in this process, in this season, new opportunities will arise and look into them and ask questions about that. And it intrigues you into that path. And that seems to be, in my own opinion, what you're doing in testing this. Yeah. And I, yeah, I totally would. And I think that that brings, that takes the pressure off, you know, of, and because when we do, and when we realize that a lot of times we're putting other people's pressure of who we should be and what we should do and what we should accomplish. And those pressures come from childhood, you know, from early stages. And again, like I see that in my 13 year old, you know, it's like, he's, he's definitely got his own, you know, pressures and all of that, but he is just naturally going to be a driver and he's naturally going to want to shoot for more. So a lot of times we don't even have to look and say, Oh, gosh, you know, it's coaches putting this unrealistic expectation on me, or my boss is putting like, yes, we want to say that. But if we really dig deep, we're putting that pressure on ourselves. And the more comfortable and this is a journey This I still have to struggle, you know, I still struggle with it. But the more comfortable we become of saying, you know what, no, like if this doesn't align with what I truly will make me fulfilled and happy in this season, there's going to be tension. This isn't going to be a re resolution thing. But in this season, I don't have to be working myself to death or mentally putting myself in such a stressful situation where I am not achieving what I expectations even I have put on myself. So dropping all of that and just being thankful of like, you know what, there is time. Like we don't know the time we have, but we don't have to hit every single thing. And I know that there are going to be people, I've been in the SDRC. Yes, you've got quota, you've got pressure, you've got like, yes, I get that. I'm more talking kind of big picture of there's no have to. It's not like you have to be an AE in, you know, six months. If you really are honest with yourself, most of our pressure and expectations comes from a drive that we've got internal that we feel like we're not enough. And that even if we accomplish something, there's never going to be enough. And the more that we can get comfortable saying, not now not now and just keep kind of pushing that pressure the more we like okay i'm going to embrace this season i'm going to learn i'm going to lean into the opportunities i'm going to see things as we go but i'm going to i'm going to be okay navigating things and stop trying to just run a race that's going to exhaust us 
you're bringing up the point again of burnout syndrome and running into the basically drowning yourself in this dry roll of being really unhealthy. You're stressed, you're staying up long hours, you're not eating right, you're not having a balanced life. And all those factors, if you will, lead to managing that driver, taking back control and slowing down the pace in which you move through life with the mind of not being so hungry and going out and consuming and consuming and consuming. If you will, moving into the end of the show, it's it's been wonderful chatting with you. And I love the journey therefore there thus far with Tara and learning everything that you've done. And I I wanna know about the future for you. What excites you most about the future? Whew. So, I mean, I'm just going to be, I am excited about my family. I am so excited about being a mom. Like right now I am in such a fun season, you know, that, uh, I just, my oldest, like I'm a sports, you know, y'all know I'm big sports person and, um, I'm just excited to be present with them. Like it's such a gift to see my 13 year old. They just went undefeated in their middle school. This is like big deal here in Georgia, middle school basketball and one, you know, the all County and I'm there, you know, like, like, I am so lucky to be there. My 11 year olds travel baseball, football. I have a four year old, you know, so I am just I'm really excited about doing things that still help people. And so moving into that DIY thing, I've hopefully still helping people and doing what I can. But I'm so excited about the season that I'm just in personally that it just makes the professional stuff so much sweeter, because it's not the only thing that I'm driving for anymore that I just have such an just awesome life that I can enjoy and that I'm able to be present for. So I'm excited about everything. (laughs) That's an absolute great answer. And I love it. And I have one last question and it's one of my favorites. If you could instill one piece of advice in a listener, a young person, a teenager, what would it be? Oh gosh. Um, connection over perfection. I feel like this is like my mantra these days. So no matter what you're doing, whether that's connecting with yourself That's going to be number one over perfection. Stop it. Drop the perfect. Connect with yourself. Connect with others. Find ways to connect and not be perfect, you know? And so you can take that however way you want. But to me, that just brings, again, that pulls this pressure thing off of like, we have to be everything, do everything, be perfect, be, you know, who everybody else in society and our friends and our family and even ourselves wants us to be. And instead, just be able to be present with the people around us, the community around us, the projects that we're working on, our leaders, our teams, everything, and just look to every interaction, especially in the communication department. How can I connect with this person other than how do I have to like present myself as some perfect person in order to do so? Because it's really our vulnerabilities. It's our honesty. It's our integrity. It's our character more than our performance that really draws people in. And it allows, again, like a flowing life versus like this rigid, must be perfect all the time, stress, pressure, just burnout syndrome. So connection over perfection always. Connection over perfection. That's the mantra of the show. I absolutely love it. It's great to see the content you post on LinkedIn and anybody that wants to check out you and more, go to her page, find it on LinkedIn. But it was a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Awesome. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. And that's this episode of The Art of Mindset with your host, me, Brian LeSage. If you're looking for more information from Tara, be sure to get into the show notes and find her LinkedIn page and also check out her business, Happy Words. Lots of information for how you can use words to better communicate your message. As she said, connection over perfection. 
And as always, stay curious, keep expanding. 